Against the Odds, celebrating those who have conquered in the face of adversity with Philip Anderson. Well, what's with the celebration, I hear you ask, or will be revealed later in the programme? Hello, and a very warm welcome to this two-part chapter in a series of podcasts from Against the Odds, Surviving Emmy, where all this season we are profiling the life and work of the life coach and author, Dr. Rebecca Williams-Dimsdown, who's been living with Emmy, myalgic encephalitis, for 30 years after contracting glandular fever at age 17, a devastating condition that has had multisystemic and neurological issues that has impacted her life in more ways than one. Suffice to say, in the early stages of the illness, she was forced to spend 22 hours a day of her life up in her bedroom, unable to move, suggesting procrastination isn't the only thief of time, but illness. Hence why we've titled this two-part chapter, Lost Time. But more on that in part two. This is Against the Odds with Philip Anderson. But first, let's return back to our question of celebration. And what is it we are meant to be celebrating? Well, hopefully, Dr. Rebecca Williams-Dinsdale, who is waiting patiently in the wings, uh, can tell us as we welcome her once more to the podcast. Rebecca, a very warm welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you. And you have arrived clutching something in your hand, I do believe, which ought to be a clue to what it is we are meant to be celebrating. Well, a celebration is a joyous thing indeed, and this is my latest book, Life Joy Journal. And this is your fourth book, isn't it? It is. It's, it's the third in the Life Joy series, and I also have Inspiring Ivy, as she is the queen of Life Joy. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Ivy because I know we're going to be profiling her later on in this series, as she was quite an inter- played quite an integral part um, in your own development, didn't she? Oh, absolutely. She was my grandmother, my best friend, and my guru of goodness. Oh, I love that expression, a guru of goodness. Yes, it's just come to me, but she really was. She was quiet, she was brave, she was full of faith and absolutely determined to do something to make the world a bit better. In terms of um, the overarching theme of the book, you said it's part of your Life Joy series. Um, What is significantly different about this one in comparison, say, with all the other three that you've published so far? Well, my life joy philosophy is love, integrity, fortitude, energy, joy, order and you. And within that, we look at tools and strategies that give you an adventure to hope, harmony and happiness, because we want more hope in our lives. We all desire to be happy. But really, I think the measure of our state of being is the quality of our relationships. And when we have harmony within those, it makes for joy and it helps us manage the difficult times as well. So this Life Joy Journal is my most colourful book so far, beautifully designed. I, I, I believe it's a work of art. My graphic designer, Sarah Clark, is immensely talented and it's also interactive. So there's space for you to write and engage with the questions 
but there's also a lot of really high quality advice and content to help you think well, choose well, and live well. Well, it sounds like it's going to be an invaluable resource for your readers. And talking of which, in order for you to be able to pen a book of this caliber, uh, you must first of all understand your audience very well. And it sounds like you do. Well, I love my readers and I love my clients. I feel very fortunate to have them in my life. And I try and offer something back of loving purpose to help them. And really, I've had a very stretched soul. My experiences in life have been very rare and very extreme. And when you learn those hard lessons from the hinterlands of experience in many respects, you can come back to the centre and to the wealth of normal, lovely, ordinary days with great wisdom about courage and fortitude and hope and dignity and endurance. And when you can help people with those things, it really enriches their lives at such a deep level. So I'm always living to help myself, help me to help myself. That's my great prayer. And in many respects, my readers are people who are the givers in this world, the people who are looking to grow, the people who are helping at the food bank, donating. They're trying to help. They're trying to look after their family, their friends, their communities. And I'm quietly a bit of backup to help them keep going. Indeed, and I can honestly say that I'm living testimony of that because of the support that you've provided me. It's been truly invaluable. Well, thank you. It's been a it's been a privilege to be with you, but also people who have, you know, long term difficulties, to be able to keep going through them and in many respects transcend them are heroic. And people, especially with chronic conditions and ongoing disabilities different abilities, better abilities, as we really ought to say, um, need some awareness raising of their great mission in life, because it's very easy to be happy and joyous when your life is smooth and you have a, a good income, you have good health, you have good people, you have holidays and hobbies and all the lovely things of normal life. But as soon as your life is restricted with dif difficulty or disability or illness or injustice, you need a toolkit to cope to be able to be still you and not embittered. And the outcome of seeing that difficulty always has lessons in, and if we're brave enough, there are blessings too. And if we're really brave, we can work not to be diminished by them, but be enlarged. Well, that's truly amazing. And as you were saying, it's an immense toolkit that's going to be a huge resource in helping uh, your readers on their journey. Thank you. I would hope so. And because... I have listened to acres and acres of uh, self-help and wisdom and gurus. I've done everything I possibly could to be well in mind and body. But what I found the people uh, were most useful to me in great crisis and enduring crisis were the people who had actually suffered. It's really easy for people who are fit and strong to stand on the stage and say, yes, yes, come on, everybody be positive. It's fine. You can do anything you want. Well, really, that's fine if you're fit and strong and life is easy. If you're hard up, you're unwell, you've got no help, how do you find the reserves within yourself? So you need somebody who has understood struggle and suffering at a very profound level. And when you can offer that, you offer inspiration. But really, what you offer is reassurance that you can cope, you did cope, and you will cope. Oh, absolutely. And in looking at your own experience, what do you reckon you've learned from living with ME? What do you think are some of the powerful lessons it's taught you? 
Well, that's a very insightful question. I've been searching for the lessons because sometimes I really think if I get the lesson, it'll go away or I'll learn or I'll be better or be able to manage this. And I'm, I'm seeking lessons in life every day. But the real basic level conclusion is that health and unity for me are the most important things in life mm -hmm. and everything else flows from them. And I would wish everything I touch to have a loving purpose, but most importantly, that I cherish that which I have so that A, I don't get worse, B, I can stay as stable as I possibly can. And if I can find a three or a 5% improvement, then I rejoice. But that I've been through this hard process and I've had huge amounts of parental suffering and illness too. And I'm also patron of a mental health charity. So I've been stretched physically and mentally, spiritually and emotionally. So when you have that depth of knowledge, that you have a lot of qualifications, which have been hard won, a lot of experience, and I hope a lot of empathy, mm. that's a powerful toolkit to offer people. But I wonder if the most useful thing, apart from my own health, is that I've worked for a decade as a Christian celebrant, and I specialised in loving funeral services. Mm. And I was very unwell doing a lot of those, and lo not many people knew how unwell I was, but by the grace of God, I managed. But as soon as you see people who are very broken and still keep trying, it makes you realise that after that, you will never complain about things again, but you will try to write injustice and difficulties. So the great lessons from a ton of illness, a thousand funerals and a lot of qualifications and listening and learning is that people love each other very much. They can be immensely brave and heroic, but they can also be resourceful and gleeful and joyful in adversity. And that's a powerhouse of goodness for us. And joy, as we were learning in the previous episode, isn't just about happy emotions, but about courage, as you were saying earlier. Yes, I think courage is the foundation for it. I don't think you can live a life uh, fruitfully and fully without courage. And when you and courage isn't about climbing mountains or mm. running marathons. I mean, those things are wonderful, but courage is doing things that are terrifying and look after you and look after somebody else, and that you balance the risk with judgment and wisdom, but that also somewhere you're trying to contribute, you're trying to care, you're trying to give, and you're trying to make something a bit less bad. And with that in mind then, would I be right in thinking that all these creative endeavours, all these books you've produced, have also worked wonders for your own physical as well as your mental health? Oh, absolutely. It's lovely to have something to do. And then that is helpful to other people. And every time somebody says to me, I read that page and I was better for it, or I helped move this situation forward, or I worried less about something, or I did something, is it almost kicks some of that grief down the road a bit. It knocks down some of that sorrow and sadness. So my first purpose is to contribute. But the second purpose of that is it gives me great joy to see people say, um, when's the book? When's the book? When's the next one? Or can I come and have a one-to-one -one and a counselling and coaching session? So the books in some ways are, are there for, you know, repeated reference. And I hope there's layers of help within them. But they lead to greater things. And that gives me great joy because I feel like there's something useful coming from them. Indeed. And in terms of your own physical and mental health, looking back over the past seven days obviously 
your book launch has been much cause for celebration and has obviously uh, probably raised your spirits somewhat. But reflecting on the past seven days at your own physical and mental well-being, as someone living with ME, uh, how would you describe uh, this period? And is it pretty indicative of how things are generally now? Or is this an exception rather than the norm? Well, I am fortunate. I have a big capacity for excitement and joy and enthusiasm. I've been stretched at the other ends of emotions too immensely. And I do know what enduring sorrow and enduring restriction and enduring pain is like. So because I know that, I'm thrilled with the tiny treasures of normal life. Um, I have good reserves of delight in being able to go into the shower, get myself dressed, um, look after my dog, be with my husband, visit my dad, you know, see my pals, saw something, the small things that I can manage to do, water a plant. Because when you can't function, those things seem gargantuanly difficult. But when you can just do a bit of normal living, it gives me great joy. So in terms of the last couple of weeks, I'm, I must acknowledge that a lot of people with ME don't improve. A lot of them get worse. And the poor people who are housebound, bedbound and severely tortured by this would do anything to be as well as I am. So that's the first thing, especially the children who are so unwell and the people with long COVID, because it's very similar to ME. Now, in terms of where I am now, I now have a, an improved health for which I'm immensely grateful. I've done just about everything possible to get well. I have to say there's been a huge amount of work and private treatment that's gone mm -hmm. into this. And I know I'm very lucky to have had that as well. But in terms of the last fortnight, you know, I work a very structured, organised life to make the most of managing my limited energy. And then that does bear fruit, the discipline. But I've had... Um, I've had one-to-one -one clients this week, which I adore. I've seen them progress, which fills my soul again with joy. But, you know, working and concentrating does take a lot of energy from me. And uh, sending out book orders and also, you know, doing editing for the next book. So there's a, a lot there that I know is a privilege to do, but it needs very careful management. So I would say, if I were completely honest with you, I've had quite a lot of difficult mornings getting up with joint and muscle pain and breathing and heart rate problems with POTS. Um, I've then had some very, very exhausted afternoons because I've had, you know, very busy mornings. And this isn't just normal tiredness. This is, you know, I, I don't feel well, I've got to lie down. Um, but I've also strolled around with my dog and watched telly and had happy times. So, you know, it, there's just a reality of what I'm trying to manage normally, but it's so much better than it was. And I'm so grateful for that. It's just I'm still a long way from being back to running, singing, canoeing, swimming, all the things that I used to do when in my teens. But I'm still working towards getting there. And the progress is definitely worth celebrating. It's admirable, everything you've done and you've managed to achieve. And what I think I'm hearing is that your recovery has been aided largely by your own input, you working with it rather than against it. Well, the problem is, especially with chronic conditions that have so little treatment and, and not enough understanding and research, is that we have a cultural maxim that if we push, we try that bit harder, mm. it will solve it. Now, I've been, a, I've been a queen of pushing and trying. And the problem with ME particularly is that it makes it much worse. And that's really odd because I was used to training very hard 
so that I could practically run up a mountain when I was 16. I was very strong. And the more you push, essentially, the better you got. Whereas this is about pushing on an empty tank of energy and you just go into terrible debt, delayed exhaustion and so- symptoms. I was going to say so energy deficit, really. It is. It's counterintuitive. Yes. So, so the issue of, um, I, I would say, improvement. I, I have to be completely honest. I'm far from recovered, but I have good resources within my soul to keep going and be cheerful. Mm. And the point about it is that when you've got very little help, especially from um, conventional medicine, you are absolutely on your own. So what can you do with your little bit of light and little bit of energy that's worth trying to make you better and isn't going to make things worse? So in some ways, it would be wonderful if somebody had said, yes, this is what you need to do. Here's a prescription. You do this and it'll improve. Well, really, that didn't happen for me. And certainly for many people with ME, they're advised very badly and it makes them much worse. So we must be mindful of that. But I have worked for three decades to find a 1% improvement, a 3% improvement. Can I? How can I be more disciplined to regulate my sleep, my intake, make sure my vitamins and supplements are correct? Mm. Check out, you know, I have podiatry inserts, which help my joints immensely. So there's all these myriad of little things, as well as a ton of extra treatment that has meant that it's just been a very slow, consistent lifestyle of trying to be as well as I can. And I think the difficulty for those on the outside looking in, because ME is an invisible condition, it's not on the surface, it's not something that people can see like, you know, if a person was in a wheelchair or wearing a hearing aid, etc. You know, that must make it difficult for non-sufferers to really appreciate all of that which you've just described. Oh, of course. And of course. But the problem is, for many people, it is very visible. And, you know, I was very visibly unwell for 20 years. I was desperately thin. I was very grey pallor and colour, which would oscillate to being very yellow as my liver wasn't working properly. So you could really see that I looked like a cross between a banana and a custard. And, um, you know, I was I was slow. I was like a little old lady when I was 25. And, um, you know, I had, I, you know, there was wheel, there was times when I needed the wheelchair. And there were also times that people are so sick, they don't get out of their houses. They don't get out of their bedrooms because they're so in such pain and difficulty. Imagine if you had food poisoning, flu, mm. you're hungover. That's the kind of illness, like, you know, the people who have early, early infections, you know, you feel really grotty, mm. but it's just that that doesn't go away and it gets worse sometimes. So sometimes ME is very visible the first point but secondly i i rejoice that you you don't know there's anything wrong with me because i i want to be in the well world so much and the normality of getting up and doing things and being able to function so what is the cost of the conflict there then there is there is and i think that the other reality of that is that if people have empathy and they're willing to be educated they will listen kindly and try and help So, for example, in my last of my student days, I went out twice in the whole of my undergraduate career, which is not much for, uh, you know, for people, you know, young people who like to party. But I remember my friends took me to the students union and they took me early because I couldn't stay up at night. And I remember somebody shouted to a young lad who was sitting on a bench and there was no seats left. And she shouted, get up. Bex got Emmy. She can't stand up. And this lovely boy got up gave me his seat 
and I managed to stay for about an hour. So, you know, I have a myriad of moments of of great kindness and care. And really, that's all we need. We need listening. And then we just need you to understand and to not deny and to not denigrate. And here's the real crux of the matter. If this this could happen to you, and as soon as it's happened to you or somebody you know and love, you have a complete depth of education of how difficult this is. Oh, absolutely. And just going back to your book, you were saying it's a big toolkit um, for helping people to manage uh, their own resilience and uh, find their own joy, as you yourself have done. How is the new book going at the moment? Oh, thank you. Well, the interesting thing is, is that somebody often rings me. I had one client who was my earliest shopper, and um, she always says, I read it for Christmas. So I always have a book launch for the last three years on Advent Sunday, which is usually the end of November or December. And um, people buy them for Christmas presents for themselves. But I didn't understand there's a thing called a Christmas read that people save a book for Christmas. And I thought this was wonderful. So I've got about a dozen people who just read it over Christmas. And then often on Boxing Day, I'll get a flood of messages that say, um, you know, thankfully that they've loved it, or I like this page particularly, mm. or this was wise. But the best message ever was, when's the next one? And this was on Boxing Day, two, two o'clock in the afternoon. They'd done a, you know, a full stint of it. But um, for this year, which is a new thing I'm going to do, is that in the first week of January, I'm going to do a journal along-a-thon so that we're going to fill in certain pages and go over certain sections together online in my Facebook group. And there'll be a a section every day. So you don't have to have even bought the book to to have some help from this. And I'll do a Facebook video in the morning. We'll we'll do our session together in our um, pages. And then at nighttime, we'll do a Facebook live with questions. So it's a it's a collaborative event. So um, I can't wait for that. So if you want to join my Facebook group, it's Life Joy Learning with Dr. Rebecca. And I think you will make beautiful friends in there because it's a wonderful community. Absolutely. And we'll put all the details up on the Against the Odds podcast.com website page uh, for others who would like to join, who are listening to the podcast via that medium. But in terms of the book itself, where can people obtain a copy? Well, at the moment, it's purely on my website. It will go out to stockers soon, but the the website has its first hit of it. Um, which is drrebecca.org.uk. And um, my website, I hope, is a place of sanctuary and joy. And there's a lot of content on there. Um, So if you are struggling, listen to the videos, listen to the YouTubes, download the free um, Life Joy Sunflower Life Audit. That will help. There's a free weekly newsletter that goes out on email. And there is a YouTube channel and a lot of blogs. And if you absorb all of that on a difficult day, I'm sure it will help you. Oh, Rebecca, that's absolutely fabulous. Thank you very much indeed, and good luck with the new book. It sounds an absolute invaluable toolkit for all who may be suffering at this time, whatever their condition. Thank you for having me. It's been joyous, my friend. And you'll find all the details of this and all the other resources Becky has just uh, been discussing on her website, and that's at drrebecca.org.uk. That's Dr. Spelt D-R, where you can also sign up for her newsletter and join her latest Facebook group she was talking about uh, moments ago. 
And just to let you know, also, we've produced uh, another podcast uh, for this series, which deals with the top five misconceptions of ME. And they're all based on Becky's um, own experiences of living with myalgic encephalitis, which I think you'll find very enlightening and, of course, of a huge comfort to family and friends. And you'll find that on the againsttheodspodcast.com website, as usual. Just navigate to that page and look for all available episodes and click on this season, Surviving M.E. In the meantime, though, thank you very much indeed for listening and do proceed to part two of this two-part episode, Lost Time, part of the Surviving M.E. season of podcasts in which we are profiling the life of Dr. Rebecca Williams-Dimsdale. In that episode, you'll find that Rebecca is recounting her own experience of how she contracted ME in the early stages and the effects, of course, and how it did cause a lot of lost time to occur for her, uh, to the extent where she found herself spending up to 22 hours a day in her bedroom. Learn more about that by going to againsttheodspodcast.com and clicking on Surviving M.E. In the meantime, though, thank you very much indeed for listening and for all your messages. Hopefully we'll be back on track in the new year. Um, as my new studio is underway, I've not mentioned that at the moment, but I'm in the process of converting a spare room here into both a joint study and recording studio. And all's going according to plan. There was a little bit of illness, and that was the reason why uh, there's been delays in bringing you these latest episodes. But all's going well, and I hope the same can be said of you all too. Thank you very much for all your ongoing support, and for all your kind words of encouragement too. Whatever you're doing, do stay safe. Do take care. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to this edition of Against the Odds, the bi-monthly motivational podcast celebrating the lives of those who have conquered in the face of adversity, produced and presented by Philip Francis Anderson. Whether you have a story of your own to share or you would like to be involved with the podcast in some other way, email info at againsttheoddspodcast.com or visit www.againsttheoddspodcast.com for more information and to submit a guest request ticket. This podcast is the property of Philip Francis Anderson. All rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited other than the following. We welcome you to download and play the podcast and share with others for personal use. Please acknowledge Against the Odds motivational podcast as the source of the material. You may not, except with our expressed written permission, distribute or commercially exploit the content.